We're looking forward to starting this sermon series on stories. As Pastor Yasmin mentioned, the idea behind this is really less about concepts and points and more about looking at the story of different characters in the Bible and seeing what they did and uh, where they were successful, but maybe more importantly, and maybe what's pointed out more often is where they weren't so successful and what it says about us, what it says about them, but maybe most importantly, what does it say about God and who God is and who God is to us and uh, what does God mean for us today? And so we're going to be looking at a bunch of different stories and we're looking forward to hearing your stories as well of how God has moved in your life too. But today, guess who we're going to talk about? Any guesses? Jacob. There you go, Jacob. Yes. And we're starting with Jacob. Now, Jacob's story is long, okay? I uh, went and brushed up, you know, last little bit on it, and uh, I didn't realize how uh, much of the narrative throughout Genesis is drawn through it. And so we're going to kind of go through his story at different points. We're not going to cover it all, okay? Don't judge me, okay? This, this could literally be a 15-week series in and of itself, okay? But we're going to look at his story a little bit. And more than anything, I just want us to maybe glance and see what God was doing, what he was doing, what God was doing, and what it means maybe for us today. And so when I think of some of these stories, I was reminded of a book I read years back called, I think it was called Messy Faith. And in that book, the author talked about how sometimes he wished that, you know, the Christian walk was a little bit more um, straight and narrow in the sense of that, you know, challenges never came, trials never came, you never faced this temptation, you never faced that. And for some of us, you know, we'd love to believe that spiritual growth is like this. It's just a straight line that is only straight, right? And that you never veer from. But how many of you know that in life we experience challenges? Anyone? Trials come. Um, temptations come. We, we fall at times. We, we at times go through things. And spiritual growth is more like, probably like this, right? And you kind of stop. Something hits you. And you kind of go again, you stop, you can, maybe you regress a bit, who knows. But it's, it's a little rockier, and it's a little less straight of line at the end of the day. And I remember reading that book, and I found that book kind of almost, almost relieving in a sense. To recognize that, you know, there are other people like me who have journeyed with Christ, but at the same time, you've experienced things. And um, you recognize that not everything is always so neat and tidy. And so I bring up messy faith because the story we're going to look at tonight is anything but ideal a lot of the time, okay? The life of Jacob was met with many obstacles, many conflicts, and so much of it was actually self-inflicted. <laughs> it happened because of choices that he made or choices that he failed to make. And yet we have the narrative at our, in our hands in the book of Genesis to read through and allow it to guide us and allow it to lead us, and allow it to speak to us, even today. And so my hope is that as we look at these stories, that we begin to just allow the story just to speak to us, and allow it to encourage us today. You know, I've heard it said before, I remember hearing a preacher once saying that God always does all the cool things through so many wrong people, right? And so with that in mind, let's just continue with the life of Jacob. So I remember back in the day, I bought my first house, when I moved to northern Manitoba. And the guy we bought our house from was amazing. He stopped by even after we bought it to, to help us figure out some stuff to use and how this worked, how that worked. 
But one thing I noticed quite quickly when I was living there was that that fence needed some work. Anyone? Okay? Right? That fence needed some work, and it was rotting, and it was cracking, and I didn't notice it very much until after living a whole year in that house. But I really noticed it after living two years in that house. And I realized very quickly that this isn't just a recent problem, but that this had been going on for a long time. The reason why I probably didn't notice it in, when I first moved in was because this gentleman was really good at painting, okay? He was really good at painting, right? How many of you have ever heard that, that, that statement, put a coat of paint over it, right? Just put a fresh coat of paint over it. Well, that's exactly what he did, okay? And he hid everything pretty well. Like, I wasn't even mad at him. I was actually quite impressed with, man, you hid all this rotting, all these cracks, right? It was actually pretty impressive how well he did it. But he just put a coat of paint over it, and it kind of hid everything, all the blemishes, all the things beneath the paint. And I bring that up because I wonder sometimes in life if we're more prone to show off our successes and to show off our highlights and to show off the things that we're good at. And sometimes it's almost like we just put a coat of paint over our lives, right? Because it covers up the tough stuff. It covers up the stuff that's broken. It covers up the damage and maybe some of the pain that we sometimes experience. So we're talking about Jacob tonight. And right from the womb, Jacob was grabbing at his brother's heel, okay? His brother was named was Esau. And right from the beginning, Jacob wanted to be first. Genesis chapter 25, verses 24 and 28, we read this. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin, twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old and Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. I'm not a lot like Esau. I'm just going to say that, okay? While Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So right off the hop, we're seeing that when Jacob came out of the womb, he's grabbing at his brother's heel, okay? And we see right in that opening paragraph that there's some interesting dynamics happening already in the family situation there, okay? Jacob wanted to be first. He, he clinged to his brother. It's almost like he wanted to get ahead of him. And sometimes in life, I wonder if we ever have this drive ourselves to be first or to be ahead of people. And sometimes that's okay if it's lived out healthy in a healthy way, but sometimes it can hinder our ability to live a life that honors God and that loves people and puts people first. You see, because the culture we live in, there's a me-first mentality that you'll find a lot of time that drives so much of what we do from advertising to sports, media, everything, social media, all this stuff, right? And it's pretty easy to live in our society and think that life is all about what I can get. What benefits me only, even at the expense of those around me? And sometimes, as in the story we're looking at today, even at the expense of your own family. You see, if you've experienced this hurt even in your family, my heart goes out to you today because that's not easy. But me first is not God's intention for you 
is not God's intention for me. You see, God created us to live in such a way that we look out for one another, that we consider the needs of those around us, that we put others first. Immediately, even upon entering the world, Jacob is grasping at Esau's heel. And that is symbolic for a reason, because it's going to tell us in a moment why that was symbolic. As if to say, I want to be the firstborn. I want to enter this world before you. And symbolically, this event was going to set the stage for really just a life of turbulence in that relationship. And so immediately, Jacob wants to be the firstborn. And why would this matter? Why would this matter in that day? Well, it mattered because birthright was important. Especially in this particular situation, as we're going to look at in a minute. And blessing was also important. Especially in their case, from their dad. You see, Jacob was into all sorts of tricks, okay? He took advantage of his brother. There's this account on when his brother comes in from hunting or something like that, and he builds, he, he's cooking this nice pot of stew. Anyone a sucker for a good pot of stew here, right? And he tricks him, and he says to him, you know, I'll, I'll give you some of this food if you just sell me your birthright. And Esau, in a moment of weakness where he just really needed stew, okay? He was hungry. He wanted to feed himself. He, you know, this is, he, he just decides, you know, well, what, what, what use is my birthright? If, 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 if I'm going to die. It's just such a dramatic scene. Read through it, okay? You read about it in Genesis chapter 27. But in that moment, Jacob takes advantage of his brother. Not only that, but Jacob is about to trick his dad, Isaac, into giving the blessing that was for Esau to him. And he's going to steal his brother's blessing. In Genesis chapter 27, here's the aftermath. It says, after Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. So Jacob had just stolen the blessing that was supposed to be for Esau. It says, he too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. He was waiting on this blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. Let me just stop for a second here before I keep reading. Because some of us, have you read this story before and thought to yourself, well, that seems kind of dishonest. Couldn't you just give the blessing, you know, just say, I made a mistake. Blessing's actually for you. But in these days, it didn't work that way. This was important things. This was important stuff that was happening. And when Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud, bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob, which some translations say the name Jacob stands for heel. This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. And then he said, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants. And I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? And this was final. This wasn't something that could be overturned. This wasn't something that could be changed. And Jacob deceitfully takes this from his brother. 
takes his birthright, right, just for a pot of stew, tricks him. Well, that, maybe that wasn't so much tricking, but you know, you know what I mean? He kind of coerced them into it, right? But here he actually deceives his father and steals his brother's blessing. And so here we see this ugliness of this me first attitude. Not only did Jacob take advantage of his brother earlier in the narrative by asking his, for his birthright in exchange for a good bowl of stew, but now we see he literally tricks and deceives his dad and takes the blessing that his dad was to give to Esau. And while Jacob might be able to fool his brother or father, one person he cannot fool in all of this is God. Can't fool God. You with me? Can't fool God. And God's not ignorant of this, but God sees everything. You see, I sometimes wonder if we think sometimes that we can do things that God just won't see. Like, you know, just keep it quiet, put your head down, right? Go about it. You know you're not supposed to do this. You know, God won't see it, but God sees everything. Amen? God sees it all. God knows it all. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And so not only did he take advantage of Esau, not only did Jacob trick his dad here, but Rebecca, his mom, helped create the opportunity to trick Isaac and to take his father's blessing. You see, the mom favored Jacob. And when an opportunity came, she made sure that he would take advantage of it as deceiving as it was in Genesis chapter 27, just moving back here. Rebecca said to her son Jacob, look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. And then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. And so Jacob deceives his father and steals the blessing that Isaac was going to give to Esau. And not only was Jacob in on this, but his mom was in on this too. And it was helping this all play out. It sounds like one of those, sometimes like one of those talk shows, right? Where you kind of like hear about these problems and you think to yourself like, whoa, what's going on here, right? It's a lot happening here. Now, the problem for us today, when we look at a narrative like this, is something like this. You see, God cannot bless who we pretend to be, right? God cannot bless who we pretend to be. You see, he got the blessing, but the way he went about it caused him to have to flee. And he was going to be on the run, and he was going to have to take off here, and he wasn't going to enjoy it in the way he thought he was. You see, God had told his mother that the older would serve the younger beforehand. But rather than wait on God to bring this all about in his perfect timing, they schemed and they devised a plan to force it to happen. They took a shortcut, if I could say it like that, if you will. Anyone ever take shortcuts before? Anyone? Right? Gosh, there's some shortcut stories out there, right? <laughs> we could just have a, a little section on that, right? I remember taking a shortcut once and, oh, my goodness gracious, talk about adding two extra hours to the trip, Right? So sometimes when we take shortcuts, sometimes it works out. But oftentimes, taking a shortcut can get us into trouble, especially if we haven't well thought it out. And they took a shortcut, if you will. Rather than waiting on God and allowing his will to be done in the situation, they schemed and they deceived. And I wonder sometimes in life if we ever get tempted sometimes to do the same. Have we ever tried to take matters into our own hands and skip waiting on God? 
Have we ever tried to do things on our own strength and skip waiting on God for him and for him to come through in the situation? And when we do this, how does it usually turn out? You know, I've gotten myself in some situations I didn't love, all because I got ahead of God on it, right? The promise was there. Things were going to work out the way they were supposed to. But when we try to take matters into our own hands sometimes, we can make a mess of it. You see, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, a proverb that a lot of you know says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. I like how the message translation translates this. It says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. This is good advice for us. And this would have been great advice for Jacob and Rebecca in this situation. And because all this happened, because of all this deceiving, because of all this scheming, because of all this trickery, Jacob has to leave because he's afraid of the repercussions that are about to happen. So he has to flee. He has to take off now. And we pick that up in Genesis chapter 28. It says, so Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. And then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there. From among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. And then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padan Aran, to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. So there's all sorts of family connections here. Long story short, off to see uncle, okay? He's off to go over there. He's going to work. He's going to make some deals. Jacob brought so much conflict on himself that his dad had to send him away here for his own good. And Jacob, on this journey... Funny enough, maybe, maybe it's not funny, but interestingly enough, is about to encounter somebody who lives and acts and behaves much like he did. And he's about to get a taste of his own medicine, if I could say it like that. He's about to get a taste of exactly what he's been doing. <laughs> and in Genesis 29, it says Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for seven years. In return for your younger daughter, Rachel. He's talking to Laban here. This is the, this is what, he's trying to make a deal with him. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other men. man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. And that's when we all go, aw, right? It's one of those moments, right? And then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place, gave a feast through a big party, but when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpha to his daughter as her attendant. And when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? My, have the tables turned, right? My, have things kind of come around here in this situation. And Jacob says, why have you deceived me here? 
Jacob says, and we all go, you know, man, does this seem like things kind of came around on him. You know, have you ever been tricked before, anyone? Anyone ever been tricked before? Anyone here ever take April Fool's just a little too far, right? Right? I typically win in my house, but my wife has gotten me good a few times, okay? But those are simple little things. Those are little tricks in life. They're fun, usually. They don't result in all sorts, you know, whatever. You know, you, you deal with your own April Fool's, right? But this we're talking here is not some minor prank that's happening here. Jacob is literally deceived by his uncle into marrying the wrong person. And he had made a deal beforehand that he would marry Rachel and ended up marrying Leah. He was tricked into marrying Leah. And so he had to offer seven more years, double the initial deal to his uncle in order to get to marry Rachel. It says in chapter 29, verse 27 here, Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Like, we're talking an entrepreneur here, okay? He knows what he's doing here. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban for another seven years. You see... This is probably a good time to bring up a principle that we read about in the New Testament in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, 7, 8. It's called the principle of reaping and sowing, right? You see, it says, do not be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. You see, the truth is, is that when we sow to please our flesh, we reap from that nature. And it's not what we want. But when we sow to please the Spirit, you know what we reap? We reap God's best for us. We reap what God wants for us. Right? Reaping and sowing. We read about it in Scripture. And here I think we're, we're seeing that kind of played out here. You see, Jacob thought about himself, put himself first, tricked his brother, tricked his dad, did all these things, and now it's kind of come back and hit him. And he's getting a taste of that medicine. He's starting to figure out what that feels like. And the text goes on to tell us that Jacob neglects Leah but loves Rachel. And so there's all sorts of stuff going on here. And he decides to settle accounts with his uncle again. And they make a deal. And even that somehow kind of gets messy all over the place. But Jacob is about to eventually go back home, the place he ran from, because he had an angry brother waiting for him. And then Jacob has a moment here where he wrestles with God. Now, how many of you have heard this story before? Anyone? This is kind of one of those ones that can be difficult to understand. I bet you there's a lot of ways, a lot of points, a lot of things that you can draw from this. So I'm just going to try to keep it as simple as I can tonight. But we read about a moment where he wrestles with God. It says, the night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he cannot overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
And the man asks him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. We're in the middle of starting up our groups, and so Pastor John and I were kind of going through this story this past week, and this was one of those moments that we focused on. This is one of those moments that we wanted to communicate in this message because Jacob wanted God's blessing. That was evident, and he wrestles with him, and God allowed it to a point, even until it appeared that Jacob might be in control, but then with one touch, God dislocated the hip, leaving Jacob to limp back with his family. It's as if God said, that's enough, Jacob. He touched Jacob with a force he never felt, and Jacob crumpled to the ground, broken and humbled in that moment. You see, Jacob's hip was dislocated. And what is the message of the dislocation? Well, it seems that the message to Jacob is this. You aren't as strong as you think. Rely on me. Jacob, you aren't as strong as you think you are. Rely on me. And I wonder sometimes, are we ever like Jacob ourselves? Maybe not tricking family members and deceiving parents, okay? Maybe that too, I don't know, but, but, you know, but perhaps are we people who try to make everything sometimes happen on our own strength, thinking that we're actually stronger than we really are? Is it easy for you to rely on God for something? I think part of the problem is we live in a world that admires and really teaches us to be self-reliant. And in a world that teaches us to be self-reliant, we look out for ourselves and we try to make things happen in our own strength. And I wonder if God sometimes, you know, says to us, you know, you're not as strong as you think. You need to rely on me. You see, the scriptures teach us that a life of following God isn't fulfilled and accomplished by what we can do or what we bring to the table. But it's always been about him and his power. It's always been about him and his strength. Amen? And what he can do and what he brings to the table. And Jacob needed a humbling moment in his journey here. And an amazing moment this was. That he had tried so hard to make things happen. He tried so hard to create his own opportunities in his own strength. But God had to powerfully remind him of his limitations and his weaknesses. You see, his inability to be the Lord of his own life in his own situation. And the New Testament talks about this very concept. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we read this. This is how the, the scriptures describe Christians, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us, right? It's from God, not from us. The apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh, and here's what he said regarding that in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 to 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power might rest on me. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In our weakness, friends, 
we know that he's still strong. Amen? In our weakness, God can use us. In our weakness, we can allow him to be God. Not try to force things on our own. Not try to make things happen on our own strength. Not just putting ourselves first. But allowing him to work. And so God gives Jacob a new name. Israel. And teaches him a lesson here. God shows Jacob that life isn't all about his strength or his ability to make all these things happen. But that life is about walking with God. And becoming dependent upon God's strength. Amen? You see, eventually Jacob and Esau are reunited. The brothers who had clashed and Jacob ran away from. We read about it in Genesis 33, verse 4. And Jacob had all these plans in place. Well, I'm going to send these people ahead and these people ahead. And, you know, he, he figured this was going to be a big moment of conflict. But look what happened. It says, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. Threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. You see, despite everything that had happened between these two and the family in general, we see another moment of grace here. When Jacob and his brother come together, and rather than battle it out like I think Jacob was scared of and was planning for, they embrace each other, and all they can do is weep. And God restores their relationship that seemed beyond that. You see, after this, they're going to continue on this journey. There's a big, messy chapter in Genesis 34 about to come up, this place called Shechem. Anyone know this story, what I'm talking about? I'm not going to get into it too much. But here we thought that Jacob had had his aha moment and that he had completely changed and that he was finally going to do things the way God wanted him to do things, given a new name. But in, in, in the following chapter, we see everything from you know, assault to revenge to destroying a whole people group. And Jacob in this chapter could have taken some action. He could have done something, but he kind of misses the boat again here. He's not behaving like Israel, like God, God told him he was. He's behaving like Jacob again. And in some strange ways, we can kind of relate to that, can't we? You ever had a struggle of trying to live out who you are in Christ, and yet that old person, that flesh gets in the way and pushes you kind of in the opposite direction of where you want to go? You see, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament was familiar with this. And in Romans chapter 7, he said something like this. He said, the things that I want to do, the things that I want to do, I, I, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. And Paul asks the question, who can help me with this? And his conclusion is this. He says, thanks be to God, Paul says. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, Paul recognized that in his flesh he's weak, in his flesh he's not strong, but he serves a strong God. And he serves a strong God who delivers him. And he serves a God who doesn't condemn him. He, he serves a God who doesn't just leave him to his own moment there, but God is with him. God loves him. God helps him. God's his strength. God's his helper. Now, this doesn't give anyone a free pass to just go and sin and do whatever you want. That's, that's not what Paul's saying here in the book of Romans. But if we do fall short, if we do miss the mark, and as humans who are flawed, we will at times, we have a God who forgives. We have a God who restores. We have a God who delivers us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is good news for us today, church. And so here's God's response. This is the last part of a story we're going to look at. After all this mess that happened in this place called Shechem, here's what God said in Genesis chapter 35, verses 9 to 15. It said, After Jacob returned 
from Padan Aran, God appeared to him and blessed him. If I have another slide, maybe I don't. Okay, I didn't, I didn't put it in. That's my fault. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. And kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. And then God went up from him at that place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at that place where God had talked with him. And he poured out a drink offering on it. He poured oil on it. And Jacob called the place where God had talked with him. Anyone remember what he called it? Bethel. <laughs> called it Bethel. And here's something I think we could take from the story of Jacob. And it's just this, that God never left Jacob. Amen? God never left him. Even though Jacob was always off doing his own things, was always missing things, was kind of working in his own strength, God never gave up on him. And I hope, church, that's an encouragement for you tonight. Maybe you're in a spot right now where you just feel like, ah, oh, I just haven't been where I need to be. I just haven't been doing what I want to be doing. God's there. God doesn't give up on us. He loves us. He walks with us. He strengthens us. He wants us to go get to that place where we just go and sin no more. Amen? And he'll help us. He'll strengthen us in things. Here's three quick thoughts from the story of Jacob. Number one, life isn't meant to be lived with a me-first attitude. Life isn't meant to be lived with a me-first attitude. We get ourselves in trouble, especially as we, live to, as we want to live for Christ. When we live this way, when it's just about me, 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 I, 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 we need to look out for others, and we need to just trust God, I think, sometimes in our lives, that he'll work things out for us as we follow him and look to him and rely on him, right? Maybe like how he said to Jacob, you're not as strong as you think you are. Rely on me. Maybe... Maybe relying on him is something we just need to hear today. Number two, and this one's encouraging, God can and will use broken people. God can and will use broken people. You see, I used to think that God could only use, like, you know, the super spiritual people or the people who did this or the people who had all this going for them. But the truth is that God can use whoever he chooses. And in Scripture, we see sometimes some of the people he uses, we're like, whoa, like, who would use this person, right? Well, I know who would. God would. Because God can and will use broken people. And no more do we see that, I, don't, I think, than in the life of Jacob. God uses all people, broken and all. And finally, the third thing I think we learn is that we have a God of amazing grace and love. Amen? You see, the story of Jacob is for those of us who identify with a limp. You ever felt like you had a limp? Maybe not a physical limp, but in your walk with God, you just always felt this limp. You always felt like, ah, right? I can't get past myself sometimes. But the story of Jacob is for those of us who identify with a limp, who recognize our weaknesses, and we recognize that we need God's help, and that we need his strength, and that we need to rely on him. You see, Jacob's story exists for the times that the Jacob within us wonders, can God use a person like me? Can God use a person like me? Because the reassuring and the resounding answer to that is yes. Of course he can. Our job 
is to rely on him. Our job is to go to him. Our job is to worship him and serve him and love him and make it about him and not about ourselves. And what that says to me is that is pure grace that God can use, even me. Max Licato wrote a book on Jacob. We have some for sale at the back of the missions table if you're interested in reading up more on Jacob's life. But he says this, he says this at the end of the book. He says, grace is God's greatest idea, that he would treat us according to his heart and not ours, that he would see us and see his son, that he would relentlessly attach himself to us in a love that no sin can sever, that he would swing the doors of heaven open to anyone who would trust, not impress, but simply trust them. Grace is not a gift for the flawless, but grace exists because none of us can succeed in being so. Amen? And grace is a beautiful thing for us tonight. And I love how God always identified himself, you know, always identified with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And wasn't ashamed of them. Flaws and all, God's here for us. Why don't you stand? And so tonight, just as we take a moment just to respond in worship, as you think about Jacob's life, maybe there was something there that spoke to you. Maybe it's just this idea. Maybe you recognize that you just haven't been true with God like you should. Maybe you recognize you haven't relied on him. Maybe you've been trying something in your own strength and you recognize you just need to bring it to him today. I don't know. Maybe you just need to just taste of that amazing love and grace he has for you again and recognize how much he loves you. Whatever it is, I pray that as we worship here in a moment that you just let God speak to your heart. Let's pray. God, I just thank you, Lord, for the story of Scripture. I thank you, God, that you love us despite, Lord God, our limitations and our flaws and the times that we miss the boat. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us and your grace. Lord, help us as we walk into the world, Lord God, not just to make things about ourselves, Lord, but may we always be focused on you. May we always be focused on you and how we can love you. And may that translate, Lord God, in how we treat one another. And so, Lord, as we worship, as we sing, Lord, I pray, Lord, for each person here, Lord God, that we would be people who rely on you, who find our strength in you, Lord, and who know once again the hope, Lord God, that we have in you. Encourage each one today, I pray, in Jesus' holy name. Amen.